This podcast is being recorded on the traditional land of the Blackfoot Confederacy. This consists of the Kainai, Pekani, Siksika, and the Blackfeet in the U.S. We acknowledge the Stony Nakoda, which consists of the Bearspaw, Morley, and Chiniki. We acknowledge the Satina, who are Dene, and the Métis, Inuit, status and non-status from all of Turtle Island, and those who are visiting. We are all treaty people. Welcome to the Dave Leary Show. Welcome to the Voices in Recovery podcast, brought to you by Freedom's Path Recovery Society in Calgary, Alberta, Canada. Thank you for tuning in. Please remember that these are opinions that are shared are those of the individuals and not of any agency, organization, or other entity, unless otherwise specified. Also, if you're a minor, please check with your parent and or guardian as you need to have permission to listen to these podcasts. We will potentially talk about violent subject matter, sexual content, and difficulties human beings face on their day-to-day lives in recovery. Welcome, Derek. Thank you for coming tonight. I, You know, the cool thing is, is I kind of know only a little bit from watching on Facebook. Okay. So I know you're busy, you're an active guy, like, but other than that, man, like, take it away. Yeah. Well, first of all, thanks for having me. Of course. Uh, it's always a pleasure and a, an honor, and I feel at times uh, a responsibility to mm. follow the call. You know, when, when you get asked to do service, uh, you just, I was taught never, you never say no, no yeah. matter what it is. So I know we've had uh, a couple challenging or uh, scheduling challenges yeah. so far, but sure. uh, real, real cool to get to, uh, to come here. So what is it you want to know? Just tell my story a bit. Yeah, and... your story a bit. And then what it's like now, right? Like yeah, any, yeah. any part of your story you want sure. to talk about. Okay. So. so my sobriety date is December 16th, 2014. I right uh, wasn't the first time I came into the program. I came in, I was about five, four months away from turning 31. But the first time I walked into a, uh, a room with an Alcoholics Anonymous meeting, I was 22. And that was really uncomfortable for me because I was nowhere near submission mm-hmm. at that point. I knew something was wrong. Yeah. Um, I mean, you don't just show up to a meeting uh, at any age yeah. when things are going great in your life, right? I've heard a few people make a joke that... Uh, if you see a guy riding a bike in the rain, smoking a cigarette, he's not doing it for the exercise. Mm. So it's the same thing as, you know, if you find yourself in a church with a bunch of strangers, putting your hand up saying, my name's Derek, I'm an alcoholic. There's, there's probably a reason. So the first meeting I went to, I'll never, for as long as I live, I'll never forget. Uh, I mean, I was terrified. Uh, I hated everybody. Mm. I was just so full of anger and resentment and, uh, and I didn't want to talk to anybody and everyone was being so nice to me. And I thought they were all just so full of shit. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, people were sober for two years, 10 years, 20 years, 40 years. And I, I just, I didn't feel, I didn't feel anything from it. I just, I, I couldn't get anything from it and I couldn't wait to get out of that meeting. Uh, but in that started the process of my thinking evolving mm-hmm. because I heard stuff at that meeting that I'll never forget. Like I saw people talking about life being happy, joyous, and free, uh, and being X amount of years sober. I mean, even at that time for me, if you went two weeks sober, I, I thought it was like this monumentous yeah. uh, accomplishment. Uh, but I didn't think it was possible for me. So I went to that one meeting and I never went back. They actually, the, the uh, I don't know the guy's name. I'm there. I, I can't remember, but he chased me down into the parking lot. Cause like, you know, alcoholics, we can be kind of crazy, right? Yeah chased me down and uh he gave me a a newcomer's package and a big book yeah and i don't know what i did with that book it it got lost somewhere in translation um moving you know like i lived a very alcoholic lifestyle Mm -hmm. in my 20s i moved i think i probably moved 30 times in five years so that book i never opened it i never read it i never did anything with it but i took it home and i was just i remember being angry that the guy even gave me a book like i didn't think i was an alcoholic and i thought how dare this guy assume that I need this book. And obviously my ego was raging out of control and was for a long time. But so somewhere between, you know, 22 and 30, almost 31, I entered and exited the rooms 
I think I got one time a couple weeks, maybe four or five meetings. Uh, another time, I think the closest I ever got uh, to having, well, something of a, a resemblance of sobriety was one time I think I didn't drink for close to two months, mm -hmm. but I still was smoking pot the whole time. Okay. So I, you know, at the time I, I considered myself to be sober, but mm -hmm. looking back on it now, obviously I don't, I don't count it. But that time I remember, um, I, I was feeling good about not drinking and, mm -hmm. and starting to feel, um, you know, you get that pink cloud and things start to change and you see results right away. Even if you go, you know, two weeks, just like the physical aspect of it like you know not having a hangover and, and not waking up on a saturday morning like feeling like actual death and, and still having money uh all these things right you know they uh they go so far but um but that time before it actually stuck um i did it because i was with this girl who she just uh you know she just made me want to be better and and uh and then that didn't work out. She actually was from Australia. She moved back home. Nothing to do with a breakup. We just, she had to go home. And uh, I remember going to my friend's house. Uh, and I thought to myself, well, I've been sober for almost two months. I'm probably not an alcoholic because, you know, it, I didn't do any steps. I didn't read the yeah. book. But if I could do two months, let's see what happens if I just have one drink. Mm -hmm. And man, that, that started a year and a half downward spiral. And it just, every time I tried sobriety, and then went back to drinking, it got amplified with destruction and chaos more and more every time. And it, and it always felt like, uh, you know, before I would turn the corner and go back to drinking, I always thought, I, I can do this, I have a handle on this. Mm -hmm. Obviously, I'm not that sick. Yeah. Uh, and it's just your disease messing with you, right? Like my disease, similar to anyone else's, I don't know what your disease says in your head, but I know in my head what it says. And, it tells me even now, five and a half years later, you're fine. Yeah. You can do it. Uh, but I don't think about just having one drink. Mm -hmm. I think about having 15 beers at seven o'clock in the morning on a Tuesday. Yeah. Like, yeah. that's fucked up. And normal people don't think like that. And nor do I try to, I don't try to um, conceptualize what a normal person thinks like, because mm -hmm. I never will know. But I know that to me, when I question, am I an alcoholic? And then I think about how incredible it sounds and feels in my head to get totally blackout drunk before mm -hmm. noon. Like that was my favorite time to drink was the morning. Yeah. I loved it. It was the, you know, you'd wake up still kind of, you know, cut from the night before mm -hmm. and just keep going. But, uh, it was always a goal of mine to be drunk before noon Yeah, and it was very easy to accomplish. So these, these things, it dawned on me multiple times that that wasn't okay and uh and i i got really tired of uh of living just that cycle of insanity you know and alcoholics are very i mean we're very hard on ourselves i'm very hard on myself yeah. but we're very good at suicide and self-destruction yeah. and that was the path i mean i was convinced for a long time that uh i was gonna die one of two ways and i was gonna be by a rope or a bottle and the bottle wasn't working. I tried the bottle. I mean, the amount of excess that I put into my body um, and with it, I mean, I identify as an alcoholic, uh, but you know, I, I definitely am an alcoholic uh, first and foremost. It started with alcohol. Alcohol always, alcohol always was. And, and you know, it, it started, it's my master. It always mm. was. It was my primary thing. It always started with booze. But then I was, I mean, after that, I had no yeah. shame in doing anything. It didn't matter what it was. If I could put it in my body, and it would, you know, alter my state. I did it. And, uh, um, like, I mean, I've had conversations with people now that they're, as we call them normies mm -hmm. <laughs> and they ask me questions. Yeah. Yeah. All you weirdos. <laughs> <laughs> they, uh, they get fascinated by like, yeah. I just hit 2000 days, uh, 2000 days of sobriety. Um, oh, nice. like about two weeks ago. Yeah. And some of my friends now that I I've met through sobriety, they ask me about, you know, they have these questions about what it was like for me before. And I mean, I'll tell them about, um, is it okay if I talk about like drugs and stuff too? Of course, yeah. We're free. Uh, oh yeah, you're free, man. Okay. Yeah. So I, I'd tell them like, I mean, there's nights where I'd be, um, high on cocaine, acid, mushrooms, ecstasy, completely wasted, smoking pot. 
and they'd be like all at once. And I'm like, well, yeah, the more the merrier, you know what I mean? Like, it, and that just seemed totally okay with me. Yeah. Um, I remember one time I was in a, uh, in a tent and again, I was like high on all kinds of different drugs and, and this guy passed me a, a pipe of heroin and I, I had no problems. Mm-hmm. I went to do it and my other friend grabbed me in a headlock and pulled me out of there because he knew, I mean, if I would have smoked that, yeah. there's a good chance I would have been a heroin addict, right? Mm-hmm. So um, I just, I had so little self-esteem and so much anger from my childhood and different events that happened uh, that the only time I felt good was when I was drinking. That was the cause of and solution to all of my problems. Yeah. Uh, and if I was drinking, I was okay. And if I wasn't drinking, I wasn't okay. I only ever felt like I had two problems. If if I don't have booze, I need to get some. And if I do have booze, I do I have enough to mm-hmm. last? And uh, that was it. So eventually, uh, along the way, I when I was um, 24... I became a dad and my son's mom and I, we like to party and I thought she partied like I did. Mm-hmm. But now many years later, I look back and <laughs> you know, you, you see things differently through sober eyes, right? She, she liked to party cause she was in her early twenties and, mm-hmm. uh, and I mean, we had no reason not to, but I didn't realize that I, she would go to bed and I'd stay up yeah. for, you know, the rest of the night or into the morning. But when she got pregnant, she stopped everything like that. Yeah. And I, you know, to this day, we have a great relationship. Thank, thanks to sobriety, the program. And now we have a, an amazing relationship. We raise our son as a team, hundred percent, but, uh, that's awesome. Yeah. It's, it's really, really cool. It's like the promises in life. Right. Yeah. But, uh, I will always love and respect the fact that she, at the time of finding out she was pregnant, was just like never a question. But for me, that's when the lying and the Mm -hmm. deception started because I couldn't stop. So what I started doing then when she was pregnant was I would get drunk at work at eight in the morning. (laughs) Like, this is what I mean. This is how, (laughs) this is how our disease fucks with us, right? Like I would take an eight pack to work because I was in construction before and I would hide eight beers all throughout the job site Mm -hmm. in different spots because I thought in my mind, if the safety the safety monitor or whatever found the full eight pack, mm-hmm. I'd lose all eight. Yeah. But if he only found one, that's just like, you know, I got <laughs> yeah. better odds. So that's the yeah. first thing I did in the morning. Here I am. I'm like 24 years old. I had started a construction company and I was doing really well. And again, at this point in time, I had been into the program. Mm-hmm. So I started, I, I always had that, uh, that, the, I had the words in my head. Like they say, there's nothing worse than having a, a belly full of booze and a head full of AA yeah. is awful. Um, thank God I did though, but I'm here at seven 30 in the morning running around these job sites, hiding beers in random places so that I can drink them. And I have it paced out in my mind between seven 30 and two o'clock mm-hmm. to drink all eight of these beers so that I still had enough time to sort of sober up before I got home. Yeah. And it didn't always work like that. Some days I just wouldn't leave work. I'd stay there, you know? So anyways, um, when I became a father, uh, my son, thank God for him. I, I believe that he was meant to be. I think everything and I, nothing happens in God's world by mistake. But um, when when he was born, uh, I it was the first time in my life that I gave a shit about anyone else other than myself mm-hmm. for like a four hour period. I held him in my arms and I felt a love that I had never felt before. And and I made him this promise that I was going to be the best father that this world had ever seen. And uh, and I lied to him for, for five years, of, for the first five years of his life. Um, I wasn't a good dad. I mean, I, I was there, I showed up to stuff, but like, mm-hmm. I look back on it now and it's like, I mean, at his third birthday, I was sneaking off into the garage to, to, uh, do cocaine and drink mm-hmm. while my son's at his birthday party. And I'm thinking, and I remember so many times I would, uh, I would put him to bed cause his mom and I broke up when he was, I think two or three, mm-hmm. which at the time I, th- I thought it was all her fault. Right. Yeah. Just so arrogant, so, so much ego. Um, now I see it, obviously. I see my part in it. Yeah. But uh, um, so I would have him on the weekends. I mean, like I'd put him to bed at 8.30, 9 o'clock, and I'd stay up and drink a 40 of rum. Mm-hmm. And then he'd wake up four or five years old, and uh, and I'd just be dead to the world. Yeah. 
So one of my last, uh, one of my last second or third last night's drinking, that almost identical situation had happened. And, uh, I, I, I remember, um, I put him to bed and I had a 40 of Captain Morgan's and, and I thought to myself, I'm just going to have one drink. <laughs> it's like, uh, I drank three quarters of that bottle and it was like four or five, who knows what time in the morning before I finally went to bed. And then I woke up and I was just totally lost and dazed and confused. And I, and I woke up and I, and I didn't, I didn't know where he was. And I went out to the TV room. It's like one o'clock in the afternoon or whatever time. And he had made himself cereal a bowl of cereal. So there was cereal and milk everywhere. Mm-hmm. Like he's five years old, right? So, and he's turned on Pokemon. And he's watching Pokemon by himself. And I'm thinking to myself, like he could have seriously hurt himself. He could have lit the house on fire. He could have, who knows? And, uh, and, and so at that point in time, again, I started trying to, uh, to have the willpower to stop on my own. Mm-hmm. Cause I never wanted to admit that uh, there was something wrong with me, that I needed help, that I, I just didn't want to be around you guys because i thought you guys were a bunch of losers mm-hmm. who sat around and talked about god in my early 20s when i went to meetings it just we it was like are, though. well <laughs> you know what i mean and so so i'm like here i am i don't think i was ready to accept that there was a better way yeah uh but so my last night drinking and i and i had that idea in my mind for so long that people that were sober were losers mm. and i created that that thought that was something that I justified to myself for not staying sober because I yeah. couldn't. I wasn't ready or willing to give it a full shot. But my last night drinking, it's actually, uh, it's amazing how God, you know, and for me, I use the word God. A lot of people mm-hmm. have a hard time with that, especially early in sobriety. For sure. I now am totally comfortable with it. And I did for a long time too. But um, I've heard it said that uh, your ego screams at you, mm-hmm. but God only whispers. Mm-hmm. So to hear God, you need to silence your ego. But God will get really fucking loud at times if he needs to, mm-hmm. or he can, mm-hmm. if if you're ready. <laughs> or at least he did for me. So my last <laughs> night drinking, I went out, it was a Sunday night, and I went out just for two beers and a burger as any alcoholic, you know, you know that, that that's a good plan. Never. Yeah. It always works out. Two beers and a burger. I'll be back in an hour, an hour and I'll go to bed at nine and I'll be up at six 30 and go to work and I'll be good. So, (laughs) so I'm, uh, I'm sitting around this pub and, uh, and I'm having a couple drinks and, and I'm having a couple more drinks. And then all of a sudden, uh, it was like the whole place was totally silent Mm. and I could hear every word that was being said by the people all around all around the bar. Mm-hmm. It, it was actually really kind of a, a wild experience, but, and I'll back this up for a quick sec. Like the le- the weeks leading up to this night, I was on a very intense bender. Like mm-hmm. it was all day, all night. I was still going to work. That was a weird thing about me. I never missed work. I was mm-hmm. not one of like, I know alcoholics that would disappear for weeks at a time. Yeah. I, I had my own crew. I always went to work. Even if I didn't sleep, I'd be at work and I always worked hard, but I think that helped me justify that I didn't have a problem, but it sucks going to work doing construction when you haven't slept in four days, you know, but, uh, (laughs) but so I had this really awful bender and I remember, um, the night before my last night drinking, I seriously contemplated hanging myself. Mm -hmm. Like I had the rope, I had it planned out. Um, and (laughs) it's hard to, you know, tell the story sometimes, but mm. I seriously, like on a deep, deep level thought to myself, I, I just, I don't want to live anymore. I don't want to, this can't be the way. And so, um, I went out to this pub, like I was saying, and, and then all of a sudden it was like no one in there was, there was not a single person in there except for the people around the bar. Mm-hmm. And I heard these guys telling these stories about cheating on their wives and thinking it was totally cool mm-hmm. and like kind of congratulating each other yeah. on it. Like uh, another guy was talking about, he was so loaded driving home from the bar, he crashed into a parked car and then ditched his car and got away with it or, or whatever. Um, just like these terrible stories. Mm-hmm. And then I'm hearing in my head that uh, people that are sober in AA are losers that mm-hmm. sit around and talk about God. Yeah. And something snapped in my brain and I went, fuck, I'm, I'm with the losers. And I'm not saying that people that sit around at bars are losers, but yeah, at the course. time, my thought process was just like, shit, this yeah. is, I got this backwards. Mm-hmm. So, and, and again, God, so that was the first God moment that night. <laughs> then he had an, I had another God 
moment that night. So when I meet someone from the program, especially even to this day, mm-hmm. I mean, we don't know each other's last names generally. Facebook's kind of screwed up the, the anonymity. Yeah, anonymity yeah. But, uh, but back then, um, if I met you, like if I met you at a meeting and you're like, mm-hmm. hey, let's, let's exchange numbers, yeah. go for coffee sometime, I would just have you in as like David AA. Yeah. Because I, I would never know your last name. Yeah. Uh, so I went to text my buddy Dallas and, uh, and right above Dallas's name was another guy, Dallas, but it was Dallas AA. Mm. And this Dallas guy I had met at meetings the last time that I was talking about when I had that girlfriend or whatever. And um, I did almost two months and him and I really hit it off. He was a musician. I was a musician and I hadn't talked to him in a couple of years. Yeah. And uh, I went to text my buddy, but I texted him instead. And I was like, hey man, what's going on? And then he wrote me back. And then through my blurry vision, I realized who I texted. And I was like, oh, fuck, fuck's sakes. <laughs> I texted the wrong person yeah. and he's like, oh man, I'm so happy to hear from you. How are you doing? And instantly I knew I had to lie to this guy because I don't yeah. want some loser from AA, quote unquote, to um, yeah. to think that I'm not doing well, right? Because I'm better than the program mm. in my mind. And so I lie to him. I'm telling him, yeah, life's totally good. And then I, I black out and I wake up in this weird house, which was happening a lot more and more. And, uh, and my phone had been blowing up cause it was a Monday morning and I was supposed to be at work and my guys didn't know where I was. The bosses didn't know where I was. And, and, uh, I went to work for like three or four hours and then I finally went home and I was lying in bed and the shakes had just gotten so bad for me at the end. I was like lying in bed and I couldn't even hold my phone. My hands were just shaking so bad. And I started going through my online banking, looking at like the amount of money that I was spending mm-hmm. and it was just insane. And then that Dallas guy, he texted me again the next day. Mm-hmm. And I'm thinking to myself, like, fuck, this guy's relentless. Yeah. And I'm like, you guys in AA just don't give up. And then I realized that you never were gonna. Yeah. And and he said to me, um, how are you how are you doing today, bud? And I'm like, I'm not doing good. Like, I'm not, I'm not good at all. And all he said was, You should go to a meeting. And I thought, I hate you. <laughs> like I fucking hate you for yeah. saying that to me. And yeah. but I knew. I knew with every cell in my body that he was right and that I had a serious problem. And it was at that moment after that string of events and all this other stuff that had happened that he was totally right. And, uh, and I thought of every reason not to go to a meeting that night. And I, and I, again, I can't explain it. This is where the third kind of God shot or event happened where I just found myself in my truck at quarter to eight and at Northlanders, uh, Mm just, you know, over there yeah. at eight o'clock. And I walked in and I met my sponsor that night. He was a greeter and I met, I actually kind of have an unofficial sponsor. Um, it's, it's a woman. She's, she's older. She's I call her my, my sober mom. Mm. And I met her that night too. And she came up to me after the meeting and she said, how are you feeling? I got asked to share that night. And I, I don't know what I said, but she came up to me. She said, how are you feeling? I said, I'm okay. I'm better now. She goes, do you feel like you want to stay sober? And I said, I do actually. Mm-hmm. And she said, when would you like to, when would you like for your sobriety to become serious? And I'm thinking to myself, like, have you been watching me for the last few years? Like, how do you know this <laughs> stuff? Right. Uh, and I said, I would like for it to become serious now. And she said, okay, great. You're in the right place. So I said, when should I get a sponsor? Because I had been approached about sponsors multiple times, but mm-hmm. I always just like dodged it. So I asked her, when should I get a sponsor? And she, she said to me, I'll never forget this. This was like the worst thing she could have said. And at the exact same moment, like the best thing for me, mm-hmm. she looked me dead in the eye and without missing a beat, <laughs> she said to me, well, yesterday would have been good, but today's even better. And I, <laughs> Fuck. I'm like, Oh my God. So then my sponsor rolls up yeah, and I didn't know who he was either at the time. And he's an older gentleman too. And just like the sweetest, most non-judgmental, hardest, like he's all about service, mm-hmm. all about the new guy. And he gave me my news commerce package and he kind of cornered me about sponsorship. I mean, in a non-invasive, non-threatening kind yeah. of way, but he, I think he could see it in my eyes that I was ready. He said, I'd like to talk to you about sponsorship. And I said, okay, well, what would you like to talk about? He said, well, I don't want to do it now. I feel like you've had a hard day. Mm-hmm. How about we go for coffee tomorrow? Cause he's smarter than I am. He knew that if, he booked a time with me tomorrow. I might show up. Yeah. And that's exactly what happened. So, so we went for coffee and he fucking slapped step one down on me. Mm. And I'm like, no, I don't want to, what do you talk about? This is not, I'm not okay with this. Like, mm. I don't want to do step one. He's like, well, you need to start now. 
I'm like, why can't I start in like a month? He's like, because you might not make it a month. Yeah. And uh, and he was the first guy that ever was real with me. Like, mm-hmm. this could kill you. And from the looks of you, because I didn't realize at the time, I was super pale and thin yeah. and just like looked like a skeleton. And so he he was a he's a hard ass. Mm-hmm. Like he uh he told me he actually told me what his boundaries were mm-hmm. for me to work with him. Yeah. And I'm thinking to myself like. Who are you, man? Like, who do you think, who do you think you are? Like, so he told me, you got to go to five meetings a week Mm -hmm. and I want to be at three of them with you. And I'm thinking to myself, like, that's a little excessive, like Mm -hmm. five a week. You're talking about obsession. Like, isn't that being sort of obsessed? Like if Mm -hmm. I'm going to five meetings a week, isn't that sort of an obsession? And again, he said the worst thing and the best thing. Uh, He looked me dead in the eyes and he said, yeah, it might be an obsession, but this one's not going to kill you. Mm -hmm. Like, oh man, these people are just ridiculous man. i know it's brutal <laughs> so so he, and he says to me i want to be at three of them with you and and i and i looked at him i'm like why do you want to always be with me and he said the classic aa bullshit cliche that we hear now and mm. i believe it now but at the time i thought it was just such a lie and he goes because i'm gonna love you until you can love yourself mm. yeah. and i was like oh god <laughs> What have I done? Yeah. This <laughs> so, is a terrible mistake. Yeah, this is just not. I, I'm not. I'm not cool with this. So, <laughs> but again, I knew. I knew that I had. Uh, I had two choices: to do this thing and give it a real honest effort, uh, or or be dead. Um, yeah. And I didn't like option two, so I told. <laughs> I told myself. I'm only going to do this for two weeks. Mm -hmm. And so, and I honestly believe that I would only do it for two weeks. Uh, I just wanted the hangover to stop. I just wanted to like shake off the cobwebs. And Mm -hmm. so two weeks came by and this dude that started two weeks before me got his one month chip Mm -hmm. and I'm super competitive. So, and he got his one month chip and he got all this congratulations and praise and hugs and pats on the back and got this like (laughs) little red chip. Yeah. This is like plastic chip. And I'm like, fuck it. I'm going to do a month. Mm -hmm. I'm going to do 30 days and then it'll be one thing that I can say I actually accomplished. And mm-hmm. I'll never forget. I was at Northwest Calgary, Calgary group when I got that 30 day chip. And back then I haven't been to that meeting in a long time, but I mean, that was a big meeting back mm-hmm. then. I don't know. I can't guess at how many people were there, but it felt like at least a hundred, like it was a huge mm-hmm. room. And uh, I didn't hear a word though said at that meeting. All I did was stare at that chip and it was just like this glowing Ruby from God, you know, mm-hmm. it was just like insane. And so when I got the one month chip, I realized that I could, I could do this thing, but I still wasn't ready. I still didn't want to do it. But my sponsor just like, that dude's relentless. Like mm-hmm. every morning I woke up and he, uh, there was a text on my phone from him mm-hmm. and, and he would check in with me two, three times a day. And, and then I started, I started appreciating that. And I yeah. started getting relief from that because I'd be pissed off and frustrated or feel like drinking and I'd get a text from him. And then all of a sudden I could go another hour. So I'm like, it's, then I started to see it. I'm like, this is how it works. Mm-hmm. This is the service side. Cause I never understood like, why do you want to help me? Mm-hmm. Like I always felt like such a loser. Um, and then, uh, and then the step work started to kick in. Mm-hmm. So all of a sudden, and I went through them pretty quick. I got to four pretty quick. Yeah. Like in probably about like, I don't know, let's call it within my first two months, I got to step four. Okay. And, uh, I stalled on step four for like a long time, probably six weeks. I didn't do anything. Didn't put a pen to paper. I really stalled. But when I went to get my two month chip, I was driving to the meeting and I said to myself, fuck this shit. I'm done with this. Mm. This is a lot of work. This is really hard. This, this really sucks. So I said, I'm going to go to this meeting. It was a speaker meeting at Parkdale. And uh, my sponsor said, come listen to this guy. He's got 25, 26, whatever Mm. years of sobriety. And I think you'll really like his message. And so I said, okay, I'm going to listen to this guy talk. It was my first speaker meeting. And afterwards, I'm going to go to the liquor store. I'm going to get drunk uh, Mm. uh, and I'm done with this shit. And again, like, you know, my higher power just like wouldn't give up on me. And I heard something at that meeting where I truly and genuinely, for the first time in my life, realized that I was in the right place. Yeah. And then after that, I, I wanted to do the work. So mm-hmm. I went through the steps and the steps really changed my life. The first set of steps I did were pretty rough, yeah. pretty hazy, right? Like mm-hmm. I put, I put in what, what I thought was an honest effort at the time. It probably was. And it was for sure. Yeah. But it, it just like, it was just the first layer. Right. And then yeah. every time I do them now or, you know, since then, um, it just goes deeper and deeper and deeper. Mm-hmm. But, uh, 
you know, and then I hit a year and, uh, and then I got into service work. Mm -hmm. So again, my sponsor, he volunteered me, you're going to do service now. So he was actually on the gratitude roundup committee. So he, he signed me up for a position without my permission. (laughs) Fucking asshole. Yeah, totally. So he says to me, (laughs) you're at a year and now's when it's going to get hard. Yeah. And so we got to get you doing service because if you don't do service, your ego will take over and you'll go back. You'll go back to drinking. And I had thought at this point that I made it to a year, so I'm invincible and I'm never going to, I'm, you know, I'm never going to drink again. And then you get, you know, you get a year in and you start paying attention and all of a sudden people with two years, five years, 10 years, 20 years, they go back out. Like mm-hmm. this shit is real. Yeah. And, and it really scared me every time people would go back out, especially if they had over five years. I don't know yeah. what it is about five years, but I, I thought to myself like, oh, that dude got three years and he relapsed. Mm-hmm. It's because he didn't have enough time in. Yeah. But for me, for my sick, twisted, alcoholic brain, if you had over five years um, and you went back out, that shouldn't happen. Mm-hmm. I see now because I'm past five years. Yeah. I understand now why. Because yeah. <laughs> we got to keep it simple, right? We got to do what we did to get to the first month, second month. And, um, and as time goes on, it becomes harder to feel that desperation, right? Yeah. yeah. Because life gets pretty good, right? Like, Damn straight. Yeah. Oh my God. And, but you forget. Yeah. And, uh, but I find too, like now my, my meetings are, 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 are an essential mm-hmm. part of my life. There's something that I anticipate and I get excited about, but I know when I've missed, mm-hmm. like, you, you know, I, yeah. I had so many people tell me for so long, you need to do three meetings a week. And mm-hmm. in my second and third year, I got resentful against the program because I felt like the program was taking away from my life. Yeah. And that's so twisted. That just shows you how sick I am at times because mm-hmm. here's this program that I got out of debt. My health came back. Mm-hmm. I've restored the relationship with the mother of my son. Mm-hmm. Um, I've changed careers. I have money in the bank. Mm-hmm. I have financial security. I have these promises coming true. Mm-hmm. And I'm fucking blaming AA. <laughs> For stealing away from my life. Yeah. I'm going on trips with my kid. Mm-hmm. I'm snowboarding with friends. I'm hiking to the tops of mountains. Whereas before all I did was do drugs and drink in, mm-hmm. in my bedroom by myself. And I'm thinking to myself that this program is stealing from my life. Like that's messed up. Yeah, man. That is. So been but there I, though, I can relate to that. Yeah, it's like <laughs> but so it's like when you get away from uh your routine and your medicine, as yeah. I call it now, you get sick. I can get pretty sick pretty quick and Mm -hmm. i notice when my thoughts are getting that way and my resentments are like and my character defects are just like spiraling out of control it's because i haven't done my step 11 prayer and meditation Mm -hmm. i haven't been going to enough meetings i haven't been reaching out to newcomers or my sponsor or Mm -hmm. reading the book you know um living the steps and that's a that's a problem Mm-hmm. for me that's not a good place for me to be and uh i've been through a couple dry drunks now and i can honestly say they are they're so awful yeah like they're the worst they are uh it just it, i got to the point in my third year because it was pr- probably halfway through my second year where i started to feel this way about the program mm-hmm. and then i i detached um so i would only go to i was going to only like one meeting a month for mm-hmm. about a year and I was only showing up just to sh- just to save face, just so that people didn't think I had disappeared. Yeah. Um, but I was struggling, like I was really struggling. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, when uh, when I got to the point that I thought to myself, like, if this is sobriety, like you can have it. Mm-hmm. I don't want this. This sucks. This is worse than what I felt before. Yeah. I again had to make a decision: Am I in or out? Am I doing this thing or am I just like just talking about it? Mm-hmm. And so I recommitted in my third year. And ever since then, my, my life just totally like it's, I can't even explain. Like I mm. used to feel sick to my stomach when I would hear people say like, if you would have asked me to predict where my life would be at this point, I would have undershot it by a thousand percent. And I'm like, come on, man, that's just so cheesy. Like I can't handle listening to that. Mm-hmm. And now here I am living that. Because I true, really, yeah. truly, like if you would have told me five and a half years ago, I'd be living this life today. There's no way I would have believed it. Yeah. So here we are. I mean, the fact that I'm talking on a podcast about recovery is, uh, I never would have thought. Yeah, me too, man. <laughs> Pretty sweet though. It's amazing, you know, and I mean, like I'm taking my son to Kelowna in two weeks for 10 days and nice. we're, you know, we went to Cancun for, uh, for mm-hmm. New Year's for a week. And, How old um, is he now? He's 11. 11, okay. Yeah. But so he he uh, he claims, so 
for my first two years, I took him to all the meetings where he was with me. Oh, okay. Like if he was with me for my time, my parenting time, I didn't miss meetings. Yeah. He came whether he wanted to or not. Yeah. And some days I had to drag him in by the back of his head because he just fought me on it. Mm-hmm. And I told him, I'm like, look, I mean, he's five. He was almost six years old when I sobered up. Yeah. But I had to explain to him a couple of times, like, look, dad needs this. Mm-hmm. And you can play in the corner, you can color, you can play with my phone, but you just sit and be quiet. Mm-hmm. And it actually had an impact on him. Mm-hmm. He he heard things and he picked it up and he, he sometimes spits program stuff back to me. Yeah. I'm like, Actually, I had a I had my first anxiety attack during the COVID shutdown. Yeah, like about a month in, you know, being at home, everything was at home, and I was just like I wasn't handling it very good, and maybe it was two weeks, whatever. And I had an anxiety attack, which I've never I've never had before, and I was like having a hard time breathing. It felt like the walls were closing in around me, and I was sitting outside, and it was like I was in a my sweatpants and a t-shirt, and it was like minus fifteen. And he comes and sits down beside me. He goes, "Are you okay?" I go, I don't think so. And like, I'm brutally honest with my, mm. with my kid. And I, I got that from the program. Like yeah. if he asks me a question, I tell him the truth. I try to censor it a little bit, but I'm like, I'm not, a, I don't know what's going on right now. Mm. And he looked me in the eyes and he said, why don't you try praying? And I'm like, what? Wow. He's like, that, <laughs> that usually seems to work for you. He yeah. goes, just go have a conversation with God. Cause I mm. say that to him, right? Mm-hmm. Just go have a conversation with God. Dad, I can't sleep. Oh yeah, just go talk to God. You'll fall mm-hmm. asleep in no time. So he said that to me. Just go have a conversation with God. And I'm like, he's right. I haven't been praying. I haven't mm-hmm. been meditating. And yeah. everything fell apart. It's unreal, man. Yeah. And it can happen, like like whether you pick up again or not, it's it's going to happen. Like the, the periods where we're just not content, right? Yeah. And we have to push through it. Like at that five-year mark, that was a good mark. I think I used the same one. I think I was like, okay, if I make it to five, I'm probably okay. Yeah. Right. But then I made it to five and I was far from okay. Yeah. <laughs> like far from it. Yeah. Yeah. But I see now why we need to spend time with the new guys. Yeah. Right. Because uh, there's some sort of twisted up, man. Yeah, man. Like, and I mean, I love them for it. Yeah. And it, 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 like, it reminds, because, mm-hmm. man, it's just, it's just gnarly when you think about uh, where, like, I mean, I don't know your story, but like, I know for me, like, the fact that I was like, considering tying a rope around my neck and going for a swing like that's brutal and that's how they feel uh and i never understood how doing service work would keep me sober yeah and now i understand oh yeah it's it's really amazing so actually a huge difference yeah this uh this guy i've been working with he just took one year yesterday oh right on and like i was more excited for him getting his one year than i was for me getting my one year yeah so it's kind of nuts it's because now you know how hard it was Right. You know how hard it was to get that year. Totally. And, uh, he says that he, he knows that it's Mm -hmm. like hard and he says that, um, he understands that Mm -hmm. it's, uh, you know, he's got to continue the work, but I just sit back and I'm like, you don't, I don't know, man, (laughs) I guess we'll see. And I pray for him and and he's a good dude though. But he, again, he's put an honest effort in he very similar story. He's got a young Mm -hmm. son. Uh, luckily for him, he, um, he didn't lose his family, but his wife was basically like you got two choices mm-hmm. like us or that and and yeah. he he's pulled it together and right on and it's cool you know because <clears throat> i throw his kid in his face all the time <laughs> when he needs a an ego deflation yeah. i'm like man are you listening to yourself like what do you think your kid's gonna say if uh mm-hmm. if you go and do that because yeah. he you know everyone wants to go every everyone no matter how long you're in when you're in a shitty mood and you haven't been doing your stuff we all want to go back to drinking we all want to feel better, right? Yeah, yeah for yeah, sure. So when he tells me, oh, I'm just going to go get a bag of drugs and a bunch of booze. And I'm like, oh, yeah, cool. Why don't you go tell your kid that? Yeah. It's, you know, but, but that's what they did to me. Yeah. So that's the only yeah, way Before you do that, call your parents and ask them how they feel about it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 So, or one time I told him, I'm like, well, why don't you just give me all your money instead? Mm. I'll hold on to it, but just give me all your money. Yeah. And then he sees how stupid, like how, how silly it is. Crazy right? it is, yeah. right? Like, yeah. I'll drain your bank account, no problem. I got no problems. Doing I got no that issue doing that to you, man. <laughs> yeah, especially so if it keeps you alive. <laughs> yeah, well, he was uh, he was staying with his parents too because he got the boot or whatever, and then he wanted to quit. I was like, man, you're in your 30s, you're living in your parents' fucking basement, mm. and you're telling me that this program isn't for you. Yeah. I'm like, you you got here on your own, right? And so, and again, like, um, I do it gently, mm. uh, but but that's exactly how I was treated, yeah. like. Um, okay, you're free to go and do that. Mm-hmm. And the old saying is like, you know, you're welcome to go back out and we'll refund your misery at the door. Yeah. 
So, but I mean, as far as it goes, like, what a blessing this sobriety thing is. I never would have thought that I would enjoy sobriety. Yeah. Like sobriety got to the point where, you know, like drugs and drinking, it used to feel good and then it stopped feeling good. Yeah. <clears throat> and now it's flipped and like sobriety feels good. And I enjoy this life and I wake up excited and I have the freedom of, you know, all these different things now. And I never would have had that if mm-hmm. it wasn't for this program. So yeah, that's pretty awesome. Man. It's kind of cool. Yeah. Is there anything else you want to talk about? Oh man. What, what's got, what's your life like right now? Now you got, do you live full time with your son? So I have him 50, 50 now. Okay. Um, his mom moved to Airdrie in 2016. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and so I followed suit about a year and a half later. Uh, and we live five minutes away from each other. Right on. Um, have an amazing relationship. She's getting married. She was supposed to be getting married next month, but yeah, COVID, uh, kind of screwed that. But, um, and she's, uh, she's with a guy that's really great. Uh, you know, we all get along. We're all on the same page. Mm-hmm. We don't fight. Um, actually it was really cool. Uh, my mom lives with me now. Oh, wow. So in April of 2018, yeah. My grand, or in March, sorry, my grandma passed away, and my mom she had dementia, and my mom had been taking care of my grandma, and my mom was living in this very small, like six hundred square foot apartment uh, in Edmonton, and paying a lot of money for it, and like she was kind of depressed and missed her mom, mm-hmm. and I was trying to switch careers out of uh, construction and get into real estate, mm-hmm. and I was really struggling with it, and I asked my mom just to come down for a few weeks because I was concerned about her, mm-hmm. her depression and just her mourning. And, um, and like, I mean, I was raising a kid and trying to do two jobs and it was just so brutal. And, uh, and she came down for a month and it, it turned out to be so good. It was so good to have her around. And I saw mm-hmm. the benefits of us working together. Yeah, I never would have in my wildest dreams, you know, in my addiction thought about having one of my parents live with me. Yeah. Uh, but as a result of having her around, like it's freed me up to, you know, make these decisions and change. And so like I changed out of a career that I, I loved, but I hated at the mm-hmm. same time. And I, I always wanted to get into, um, the sales side of construction. So yeah. when I decided to get into real estate, the truth was when I signed up for my real estate course, I was a year and a half, uh, sober mm-hmm. and I only did it for self-esteem because this guy yeah. with 30 plus years said to me, that I had no self-esteem mm-hmm. and he called me out like straight up after a meeting. He's like, well, I said something to him and he's just like, well, you don't have any self-esteem. And I'm like, who are you guys to say this stuff mm-hmm. to me? And he said it really nice, but he's like, I'm sorry, but I can tell. I'm like, okay, so then how do I build self-esteem? Mm-hmm. And he said, do things that are esteemable to you. Keep your word. Mm-hmm. And I was like, damn. So I had been saying for 10 years that I was going to get my real estate license so that I could flip houses. So I, I literally only signed up for the course just so that I could st- do what I said I was going to do. Yeah. And then all of a sudden I had my license and then all of a sudden I started doing it on the side. And then I, I put the program into my new mm-hmm. career. So I, I step three, everything. If this is going to work out, it's meant to be, it'll, mm-hmm. it'll be. And if it's not, it won't. Um, and then all of a sudden I started doing better and then I started building more self-esteem. I had more confidence. And then, and then I was at the point where I retired from construction, which mm-hmm. I never thought would be possible. And now I'm in a position where, you know, like, when I got sober, I had I owed counter revenue sixty five thousand dollars of debt, and I had a five forty credit score. I couldn't get a loan for a nickel from the bank. <laughs> yeah. Like it was brutal. And and now like I have no debt, and I have a credit score that's uh, you know I'm I'm looking to buy a house now, and mm. like the promises, yeah. you know it's uh, it's it's so cool, man. It's yeah. just such a blessing. So well, it's really cool, man. And, and when you talk about uh, that that question that people always ask, like newcomers always ask. Well, how do I get esteem? Well, do esteemable things. Yeah. Like, for example, move your mom in, mm-hmm. right? Take mm-hmm. help your mom. Like, those those things naturally give us that boost, right? We just think that it's the opposite. Like you said, it's like the flip side, mm-hmm. right? Our attic brain says, no, that'll be awful. Like, yeah. It'll be awful having mom living here. Yeah. But then the the sun brain, the nor- the brain without the addict in it, is like. That's going to be awesome. Yeah. Right? Like, yeah. it'll be awesome. We can help each other, like, be there for each other. Like, what a difference, man. And talk about ego deflation. Oh, you know, yeah. And, and humility because she's got health challenges too. So, mm-hmm. um, but to be able to uh, support her and have her be around my son and, yeah. like, he guards her. Yeah. Like, he, you don't mess with grandma. Oh, grandmas, gra- grandmas and grandpas and their kids and yeah. their grandkids. Eh? Yeah. Like, yeah. like he, he'll, he'll stand up to me if yeah. I'm getting a little bit testy with her, like. 
Yeah. He's like, hey, don't talk to grandma like that. And I'm like, well, yeah, okay. All right. I'm with you. I'm with you, little dude. So, um, yeah, it's uh, it's been a wild journey, man. No doubt, man. So you also play music. Yeah. So do you have a band or? Oh, man. Or do you guys just get together and jam? Yeah, we do every now and then. It's funny because like when we were in our early 20s, we had all the ambition and no money. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and we would jam all the time. We'd write all these cool songs. And now we're in our mid-30s and... We have, you know, money to buy gear and all this stuff, mm-hmm. but no ambition. And, and like, it's hard because, you know, we have full-time jobs and yep. families and stuff. So it's like, you get together once a month and you just play. But back mm-hmm. then it was the, you know, the delusions of grandeur. Like, yeah. oh, I'm going to be in this band. I'm going to be a rock star. I'm going to travel the world and make mm-hmm. millions of dollars. And now it's like, I just like playing music with people that like playing music. So yeah. my ego sort of settled down that way. But um, I, I three or four times a year we'll get out to uh an open mic night and just play mm-hmm. you know a couple songs because i like getting on a stage and yeah that's what i and... saw i think it was a video of you at an open night mic night yeah okay yeah yeah and and again that's uh i like to do things that really rattle my uh um my fear factor you know like mm-hmm. things that scare you like uh just to realize you're still alive i think we you know we kind of need those those thrills, yeah. us recovering addicts and alcoholics and stuff, because we're adrenaline junkies. Mm-hmm. We need that chaos. And so, yeah. And some of us have like, some people come into sobriety and their, their dopamine system isn't the same anymore. Oh yeah. Right. It's so shot. like, yeah, it's just shot. So, and same with like serotonin and shit. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, so we're always looking for something. Yeah. Right. Yeah. That's cool, man. I, I appreciate you. Um, is there anything else you want to talk about? Not that I can think of. No, I feel it's, like I, I feel like I got a lot out here tonight. I think so too. It was good. Yeah, it was really good, man. You feel good about it? I do. Right on. Yeah, yeah. I'm glad this. Uh, you well. guys do this. This is really cool. Thank you. Yeah, we. You know what? When we started it, it was almost two years now. But when we started it, we had no idea. Yeah. Like, I had no idea that people would even be interested in coming on. And, and how's it doing, it, dude? There's it's there's always people that want to come on. Yeah. Right. Which is good because I think. Those people that come on, they can share with people that I might not be able to impact. Sure. Right? That you might not be able to. Darcy might not be able to. Yeah. There's there's voices out there that aren't mine that need to be heard. Yeah. Because there's lots of people that can be helped by that. Yeah. Yeah. It's amazing. Like, uh, you know, you hear a speaker one time and it changes your life forever. I'll never forget the the first time I went to the Banff Roundup. I heard this guy, I can't remember where he was from or what his name is, but... uh, I remember the stories he told like it was yesterday Mm -hmm. and uh, I was just about a year at that time and it's just, you know, it's cool. Yeah, it is cool, man. So that's very cool. Yeah. At four years, I, I almost, I went to a meeting planning on going out afterwards. Really? Yeah. Four years. Yeah. And I, I met my last sponsor there. No way. Yeah. Cause I sat down on the chair and I was like, apparently I was obviously miserable. I did did not relate to that, but yeah. yeah, he just, he looks at me and he goes, Whoa. And I knew him just as a friend at that point. And he goes, what the fuck is up your ass? Yeah. Like that. And then I said, what are you talking about? And he goes, I bet you I could put coal up there and pull out a diamond. And he's totally messing with me. Eh? <laughs> and I'm just like, part of me's angry. Because yeah. I'm like, I'm going to like, I'm going to punch this 90 year old man in the face. Yeah, yeah. But of course you're not going to. I'm just like, what are you talking about? And then he just said the rule 62. Yeah. And and he didn't elaborate. And I said, well, what the fuck is that? Because mm-hmm. I'd heard it. But yeah. I was, man, even at four years, I was still oblivious. What totally. What was going on? Just trying not to pick up. And uh, he said, uh, you just got to stop taking yourself so seriously, man. Yeah. He goes, none of us get out of here alive, buddy. That's true. And I, like, honestly, like, as soon as he said it, I just, like, instantly relaxed. Mm-hmm. I was like, holy crap, I've been taking myself way too seriously. Yeah. And then I never, I didn't go out. But it was that same thing. I went to the meeting thinking, okay, I'm going to go to this meeting and then I'm going to go out. And that's it. Because nobody gives, I had, I had treated another human being. What had got me to the brink was obviously using old behaviors, yeah. right? Without drinking. Right. And that old behavior just eventually got me to a place where I treated another human being in a fashion that I had never treated anyone before. I would, like manipulated, controlled, lied, like yep. all of these defects came out in this, this person with this person. Right. And like, I just knew that I couldn't stay sober <laughs> doing that shit. Yeah, totally. Right? Yeah. So anyway, yeah, this, this guy just like woke me up out of my like haze and much like yourself, right? It's weird how when we 
put ourselves in the right spot, sometimes the right thing happens. Totally. It's amazing too, how you can be in sobriety and continually getting sicker. Yeah. Like, you know, that again, like there's a lot of cliches and stuff mm-hmm. that I kind of sometimes still roll my eyes at, but For I sure. understand the value in them now. It's yeah. like, you know, when I'm in the meeting, my disease is in the parking lot doing push-ups. It's like, if I hear that one more time, I'm going to light myself on fire. <laughs> you know, I'm so sick of hearing that Seriously, shit. Seriously, I'm going to go Buddhist. Like, oh, gas God. But then, but then you get away from what you're supposed to be doing and mm. your disease comes back. And yeah. and yeah, like you're getting resentful. And um, I thought too, I remember being at like about a year and a half, maybe two years. And someone asked me, <laughs> someone that I recognized my ego was maybe a little bit out of, out of whack. <laughs> And they said, hey, how many of the promises have come true for you? And I was like, all of them. They're like, oh, yeah, all 12? I'm like, yeah. And they looked me in the eye, and this guy says, you should go home and read that again. (laughs) (laughs) And ask yourself that question when you're done reading it. And I went home, and I did that. And I was like, yeah, he's right. That hasn't happened. That hasn't happened. That hasn't happened. So I thought all 12 of them came true right Mm -hmm. away. I'm five and a half years and I, I still think that a bunch of them are on the way. Yeah. So it's funny because it sort of shifts, right? But uh... <laughs> it does. But you know what? The more you work, the more you work on your, on ourselves in this process, mm-hmm. the more the promises just come true. And they come true in a way that we might not know, mm-hmm. right? Like, yeah. Yeah. And it's, it's, it's that step three of turning your whole life mm-hmm. and your whole will, yeah. all of it over, right? Like I thought for a couple of years, like, well, I'll give this up and, but my career you're not having. And then, yeah. and like my relationships you're not having. And like, but, but you can take my, you can take the drinking part and you yeah. can take my finances, like yeah. bring me more money. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. But, uh, but then finally, um, I just realized that, uh, the better way to live is, is just to, you know, you have to still take action in life, yeah. but you have to take it with the idea of knowing that, it's it's up to your higher power mm-hmm. like uh man yeah outcomes are out of my realm totally outcomes are beyond my pay grade but it's also like how fun would life be if you knew exactly what the outcome was always going to be like yeah. sometimes the joy of life is the surprises and the kicks in the teeth right like yeah. you come i've had i've had you know fear fear of people and of economic insecurity like um, I've had moments where I've come through or we will intuitively know how to handle situations mm. which used to baffle us. Yeah. And that's happens to me all the time now. Like I deal with clients where they're challenging people and I come out of it and I'm like, there's no way I would have dealt with that before. Like yeah. I would have gone to a massive battle, but mm. now I, you know, or whatever, like the way I handle situations now is just totally different. So it's really kind of cool. That's very cool, man. Yeah. Well, Derek, I appreciate you coming on, man. Yeah. Thanks for having me. Yeah. It's been a real, course, dude. real pleasure. Thank you for tuning in this week to the Voices in Recovery podcast. Please stay tuned every Wednesday as we air another episode. Thank you for your time. And please, if you're in trouble, reach out. If you need to contact us at www.freedomspathrecoverysociety.ca or you can look for us on Facebook under Freedoms Path Recovery Society. Thank you again for tuning in. Please stay tuned for upcoming groups, activities, and podcasts.